All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of It Is What It Is podcast. I'm your host, Cody Kelly. Connect with me. I just want to hear from you, want to engage with you, want to be a featured guest, let me know. I have an amazing, an amazing show tonight. It is Chicago, Chicago, Chicago. It must change. I have with me four extraordinary gentlemen, four just amazing human beings in their own rights. I'm going to introduce uh, these individuals before we get into the line of questioning, just to kind of give you an FYI. I have with me attorney Powell. Uh, he is the assistant pastor to Freedom Temple. He is an attorney, not just a lawyer. He actually passed the bar, right? <laughs> he uh, processes in litigation. He's an extremely uh, just uh, uh, intellectual thought leader, not just within the faith space, uh, but also within his community. Uh, in the Chatham neighborhood. Uh, I grew up uh, with his son, uh, who's my best friend, and I have him on here because he has been directly impacted uh, by the violence of Chicago. I have also with me Reverend Bill. Uh, Reverend Bill is also a community activist, uh, a, a, a amazing individual, one of the leaders uh, within the Church of God in Christ, really spearheading uh, our uh, what I would call not just faith-based initiatives, but faith into action when servicing the community. He is another returning guest. I really appreciate him. I have with me the Reverend Jameer Atkins. He sent me his bio, so I'm going to take the pleasure of reading this so you know who I'm dealing with. I got some heavyweights here. He is a minister, community activist, philanthropist, organizational consultant with a heart of creating innovative initiatives and developing leadership and programming skills. Amongst teenagers, millennials, and young professionals, Jameer has always had a deep passion for networking and building the inner man or woman to exemplify their holistic identity in Christ, devoted to building up and supporting his community. He has always lived by the motto, be a part of change that you desire to see. This is an amazing individual, and I have with me another just uh, sales executive, awesome individual, community activist, Timothy Kincaid. Uh, all around good brother who is really dedicated uh, to changing the norms and the status quo and the underlying development issues uh, within the communities of Chicago. Uh, everybody, can you welcome my guests uh, on the show? I am happy, excited uh, to have you all, to hear from you all. Thank you guys so much uh, for being on here. Thank you for having us. Awesome, awesome. Thank you, brother. Thank you very much. Thank you. Cool, cool, cool. Sure. Well, look, let's get into it. I want to hit it hard. I want to hit it fast. I know we got a 30-minute window that I'm trying to get you guys in and out because I don't believe uh, on being late or on Kojic time. So I'm going to try to get you guys in and out uh, because I'm, I got, you know, churches starting to resume and I got to hit all these church meetings, right? So, look, went to Decatur for the weekend. July 4th weekend, my wife and I had some time to get away. Uh, so we decided to, you know, go on a little mini vacay, got to get out of town. And it was really great. Came back to some very devastating news. Over 70 shootings, 11 fatalities, including a three-year-old girl, which has no place for any of that. It's In some of my earlier uh, podcasts, we talked about defunding the police. And Tim, I'm going to start with you on here. Is defunding the police an appropriate measure now when you hear of uh, just instances like that? We think of 70 shootings. Two fate well, more than seven fatalities, including a three year old child. Um, defunding the police, what a, my, my thing is, what are we gonna do with the money when we defund the police? Where are we gonna put it? Right? You remember when Bruce Brown came, came in the office immediately, not even three weeks later, he started cutting programs. 
he started cutting. I'm talking about all the programs you could think of in in our in our neighborhoods. He started just cutting them. That was the first thing he cut from the budget. People start losing their jobs. Kids didn't have anywhere to go after school. Start cutting therapeutic schools. Amani uh, Fiore, you remember um, the the uh, the show that they had about Amani Fiore that was heavily impacted. And um, and so we literally lost all of the resources. And as soon as that happened, literally, it was already the violence was bad in Chicago already, but it was a spike in violence. It was a spike. It was huge. And so when I think about defunding the police, I don't think about, oh, we need to defund the police because they don't need the money. I'm thinking about, okay, if we do defund the police, what are we going to do with those financial resources? Because at the end of the day, we're missing a lot in our neighborhoods and it costs millions and millions of dollars to get that back. The question is, we want it back. Do we want it back bad enough? And are the people who can provide those services and those financial resources, are they willing to, do they have the heart to give back? Is that going to stop the gentrification process? Is that going to stop, you know, millions of dollars being invested into our communities? Because I, I believe that's what it, that's what really what, what it's all about. It's about the, about the dollar. When there's, when there's blood on the streets, buy property. So while mm. we're fighting every day to stop the violence, there are people in, in in spiritual high places and wickedness that are praying on our communities to stay violent so that they can come in and push their agenda. And so that's when we say defund the police. Okay, great, defund the police. A hundred million dollars. What y'all gonna do with the money? If we say use this money to build our communities, do y'all have the platform to do it? Or is that going against the powers that be and y'all can't do it because right. there's a lot of money out here that could be put back in the black communities. But for some reason, it, what, why, why can't it be done? Why isn't it being done now? We got, yeah, okay. That that's my thing. I can go I all got, day. Please. I got you. I'll be back to you. Reverend Bill. Blood on the streets. Tim said it Buy property is an old Shakespearean quote. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, when it comes down to defunding the police, there's a lot of misconception to what that means. Uh, it's not necessarily, I'm not advocating for the total uh, abolition of the police. Um, I, I, I do, however, think that the community is crying out for some other alternative uh, rather than heavily policed communities. How about we redistribute some of that money into our schools, into after school programs, into social services, into uh, better housing, into proliferating jobs, into areas that can uh, reap some fruitful harvest uh, rather than just flooding the community with more police. I mean, Chicago hired, at one point, Chicago was hiring police by leaps and bounds, and yet we still see an escalation in violence. So I think something else needs to happen right now. If you put young black men to work, then that will decrease the amount of robberies and that will decrease the amount of hanging out on the corners. If you create better housing projects then and, and provide uh, more activities in the schools. Uh, then you will then then you have an alternative to stacking people up on top of each other, uh, leading to the self-destruction of the people. 
so if you stop gentrification and stop um, pushing people out of their communities um, and, and, and begin to invest uh, into services within the community, I think this will bring uh, the, the, the decrease in violence uh, that we see because we are grieved. I'm personally grieved with what's happening in Chicago right now, but I'm, I'm just saying that there needs to be some other alternative rather than uh, pushing more police into the community. Jameer, what is that alternative? Uh, is it defunding? What is that? When you look at the Chicago violence, what is the answer? Because obviously it's not more police, but you can't say it's less police. What's the answer? Um, I can't agree, agree with Reverend Bill uh, to a degree. I think that defunding is needed. Um, I think to a degree. And that defund needs to not so much defund it, but reallocation. Um, me being working, I used to work in CPS and SES, which is Supplemental Educational Support. Uh, programs that were after school programs that were offered for students. Uh, one key core value I stand by as a person is that exposure. So if you expose a kid or you expose someone to something better, it will more than likely allow that person to uh, do better. And so um, I definitely believe that there needs some reallocation. I believe that um, do we want to completely take the whole gamut away? No. But hiring 700 police to come in on the 4th of July weekend, when we see that it is a psychological... Oh, Urban Bill is off? Huh? Oh. There's a psychological and a sociological component to it that we're not looking at. We have to educate our black boys and girls, and we have, but the only way we can do that is to have access. And I think that's a major point, that we don't have the access to the equitable resources that we need in our community. Um, in fact, uh, when the looting happened in the city of Chicago, of course it was a disservice, but me and, and my God consciousness was more so looking at, but there were people who had not got a paycheck in a month or two months. There were people who were already at a disadvantage going into uh, opportunity. So maybe, and I don't think it was people of the African-American descent that were African descent that were actually breaking in some of these places. There were people that were put in this community to do this. But if we see an opportunity, we're already at a disadvantage and we're behind the eight ball, then that gave us more probability to go in. And really the people that we're hiring, if they came out uh, that uh, with uh, Congressman, Congressman Bobby Rush and his actual, in his ward, uh, the police were sitting and sitting and relaxing in his office. So we're hiring people not to really police. There are people who are taking advantage of a system that is not properly uh, looked at, it's not properly assessed. Uh, and me being a sales professional, I'm all about metrics. So where's the performance? We have to justify for what we're putting out and we need more accountability uh, in police reform. Um, and that's something that I'm working on currently with some state legislation because you cannot completely get rid of it, but I agree, we need to put it in the schools. We need to put it uh, in our community. We need community policing because uh, I don't know about you, but growing up, if we heard big mama down the street or, uh, our, our friend's father down the street said, hey, yeah, boy, get out of that yard and go in the house. We listen to it and we need more of those public figures. But that's been completely taken out of our community. And we put police in that place. And if you don't have a relationship, people don't move off of just giving directive. They move off a relationship. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, Attorney Powell, I want to pose a question to you because it's personal. Right. Um, Obviously, we share that relationship. Uh, when you hear of the violence in Chicago, 
and you hear that this is an ongoing, I think Rakia Boyd, like it's just an ongoing thing, right? What should we do versus what we're doing now? Well, Cody, you know the old saying, you keep doing what you're doing, you'll keep getting what you're getting. And we've been doing what we're doing so long that, and, and yet we're trying to get different results. And it's just not going to work that way. You asked uh, some of the other gentlemen about defunding police. Uh, I saw Spike Lee on a television interview recently, and I have to agree with him. Um, he said that the idea of defunding the police needs to be maybe the, the name needs to change. Because when you think of defunding the police, you mean, you know, some people think, oh, my goodness. When if somebody's breaking in my house, there's nobody I can call. I can call 911 and nobody will come. That's not what anyone is saying. But there's so many other services that need to be provided. The number one thing that I'm hearing, and I agree with it, is that there's mental health services that need to be provided. There are people who are out on the streets with weapons in their hands, but they are not mentally sound and they don't need to be carrying weapons. Sometimes the, the uh, uh, a person who needs to be called is not necessarily a police officer with a gun. It's someone who can offer some type of help. Uh, one of the gentlemen before me said uh, when he saw the looting, the, the thing that he thought was these people haven't seen a paycheck in months. And if you looked at you know, and, and absolutely, this is not to justify it. Gotcha. But if you looked at those who were in the grocery stores, what were they leaving with? They were leaving with food. You know, I'm not talking about the folks who were trying to take flat screen TVs and all of that. They're leaving with food. Again, it is no justification for it. But if you haven't seen a paycheck in three or four weeks and you've got three kids at home and they're all starving and hungry, I mean, you can almost understand what was going on. So we've got to uh, think outside of the box. We have have uh, things that we have not thought about before. And we cannot solve every 911 call by sending a police officer who's ready, willing, and able to take his weapon out of, his hol- out of its holster and start okay. firing. I'm not saying the police will always do that. I've got very good friends who are excellent police officers, but we don't need to intensify a situation that's already bad. Gotcha. Gotcha. I want to throw this because we've hit on the economic weight of it. Um, Chicago has changed in some aspects for the good, but that good came with the cost, right? We know that historically the South and the West side was predominantly black, lower income because of redlining and things of that nature. Now Chicago has taken on the initiative like a lot of other cities and has really uh, invested resources into improving the city, but it's become unaffordable uh, for a lot of us. I was having a conversation with my brother, uh, Reverend Atkins, and I told him, you need a hundred grand just to not live in the hood, right? Gentrification. Yay, nay, why? I'll start with you, Attorney Powell, and then Jameer after you. Okay, ask that question one more time. Gentrification, Gentrification. what did you say right after that? Yay or nay? Should 
does gentrification have does it have to be re-looked at? Does it have to be re-implemented? Well, I if you're gonna have gentrification, then you're going to need to provide a means for those who have been in poverty to get out of poverty. There is there's nothing wrong with the intellect of some of these who we called hoodlums or gangbangers. Some of them are the most intelligent people you'd ever want to, to find, but they haven't been given the alternative of how to start their own business, how to run their own enterprise, how to begin their own uh, firms or whatever, or how to get into some type of investment banking. And, and that's the unfairness. That's the unfairness. A, a child or a young person rarely can become what they cannot see. There was a young man that I knew years ago who, when we uh, asked him what he wanted to be, he wanted to be an airline pilot. That's a beautiful goal. But if he never saw the cockpit of an airplane, how is he going to want to become an airline pilot? How is he going to become that? We've got to offer a mechanism by which a lot of these youths can become what they haven't seen yet. And the only way they can become what they haven't seen yet is they have to be exposed to something that they haven't been exposed to before. So I'm not against gentrification in and of itself, but you've got to couple it. You've got to link it up with showing young people how to become millionaires, business owners, and all of that type of thing. Gotcha. Reverend Atkins, gentrification, the dangers of it or the pros of it. What are your thoughts? Um, I definitely think it's something that is uh, to Tony uh, Powell's point. I think it's something that I'm not against, you know, because uh, sometimes if we're in position, it does help us. But to his point as well, it is a, a major component is exposure. Um, I think the other part of it is uh, coming from corporate America uh, is something that we are usually not on the on the trajectory to or for sometimes because when they come in our communities, I think uh, Tim kind of shortly re referenced to this earlier, or you, Cody, when they come in our communities, that's why they the powers that be, the big wigs, they allow this crime because it takes your property value down, it devalues your property, it devalues your community, and then we have a certain uh ethnic background that comes in and when they come in they are because they have already had the access to equity they're able to purchase the property that we grew up in the property that we lost because of foreclosure because we were not educated we didn't know about investing we didn't have a will or trust when our loved ones died we didn't understand about that you can steal will and deal from the grave even in that moment we didn't, we weren't educated on those things and so then they come in and we lose that our parents who two generations before worked their lives off. Some of them were um, products of Jim Crow. When they transition, then the next thing we have to look at is we don't know how to take that investment. They took all they had, but we lose it for taxes. Or we lose it because we didn't understand about good stewardship and financial and our finances. And uh, something that I had growing up as a kid is how to balance the checkbook. How many of us in this day and era 
know how to balance the checkbook. We go to Chase, we go to Bank of America, we look online. But if you say, okay, now compare that to your checkbook, we don't know. So I think it's a matter of educating. I think it's very much real, but I think that's one side. But the other side is that once we're educated, then we have another battle to fight, and that's making sure that we get our quote-unquote 40 acres in a mule when we go on these jobs, because majority of the time we're underpaid for our services. Uh, we have a 10 years of sales experience right now and my current opportunity, I'm a senior. When I really with 10 years of experience, sales experience, I could have came at a major or higher. But we don't we usually, as African Americans, don't come in at those positions. We come in at positions where we're underpaid and under-resourced. Uh, and, and, then we, and then we fall back on what we know best is the church. But sometimes the church doesn't have the resources to educate. So then we're back in a gamble for our resources. So I think it's a thing of resource and education. Resource and education, Reverend Bill, your thoughts, gentrification, uh, basically relying on the need for resources and education. What are your thoughts? So I think it's a matter of gentrification needs to back up because gentrification does nothing to re-navigate that power back into the hands of the community citizens. What gentrification does is, is the government gets to come in, uh, the city gets to come in and do what it wants to do. I think black communities need to take a look, a close look at a city like Atlanta, because Atlanta is pretty much owned by black. I think we need to read some books. Uh, I think we need to do some study and some examination of even some modern day uh, revolutionaries like Killer Mike, the rapper, or T.I., who are doing an incredible job of buying up property and building business. The community citizens need to own and operate their communities. And the community citizens need to be the one to make decisions about what businesses work best for them, what school curriculum and programming work best. And that's why we need parents to be strong with PTA again. We need parents to run for local school council. We need the local school council to hire principals and school administration that have the best interests of the children and not climbing the ladder. We need grocery stores that reflect the needs of the community. We all the way down to the gas stations. Uh, we need ministers and pastors who reclaim their position, not only in the pulpit, but in the community and responding and tapering messages that meet the needs of those. There were times where churches were being built and they were not being built with parking lots. And the strategy behind that was we need parking lot because the members of the church walked the church because they were from the community. And so the community, when it comes down to gentrification, we need to reclaim our ownership. I guess we need to claim our ownership of our surroundings. We need to keep our places clean. We need to protect our places. And we need to instill these principles and values into the succeeding generations so they can do the same thing. And we can keep our dollar in rotation from the grocery store to the barbershop, to the beauty supply, to the church, to the gas station, to it all, we need to own our communities. Amen. Own our communities. Nice, nice. I like that. Own our communities. Tim, gentrification. What what is the solution? Is it is it having a more active role in ownership within our communities? Is it uh, in part subsidizing with the state and federal level? What are your thoughts? Like I said before, it's. Uh, and I'm coming from a real deep spiritual 
part of my soul right now when I say this. There's some evils. Evil, 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 evil people that are targeting African-American communities that are high value, high value communities that are close to like downtown Chicago. I I, I live right by the United Center. That's where I, where I live. I live in between two major project complexes, Henry Hornets and Rock Rockwell Gardens. I live right by the United Center where the Chicago Bulls play. That's one of the most heavily gentrified areas right now. I'm talking about I in June, June 20th, 2017, 2018, I believe. I had a we had a meeting with, with some of the uh members of the community. Uh one of the, the chief of police, one of the sergeants in the area, the aldermen, and a few of the, the guys that, that hung out on the block. They used to have little parties on the block. It was real loud, just, you know, obnoxious, trash everywhere. It wasn't no violence, nothing like that. But when you wake up in the morning, it's trash. And, you know, a lot of the individuals that invested into the into the communities and moved into the communities, most of them were predominantly Caucasian. They had an issue with that. So they would call the cops and do things like that. So the alderman ended up making the community a red zone. Well, to, in order to make a community a red zone, it literally has to be some type of violence or bloodshed, not just some noise or some minor disruptions during the night. So I brought that point up. I said, you know, there's no bloodshed. There's no violence. Why is this neighborhood being made a red zone? Like you, you, you're expecting a, a, a group of people that's been living this way for God knows how long. And then you bring in a, a, a literally not middle class because justification is to conform to the middle class taste. You're bringing upper class individuals that are making millions of dollars and that have properties all over the United States into this area that are, that are completely just uncomfortable when they get a, come around people that look like me. And you label this area a red zone. Like I said, the alderman was there. The police was there. Everybody was there in the community. After the meeting adjourned, 20 minutes after the meeting adjourned, a car pulled up and everybody was outside. A car pulled up and let off a round of AR-15 bullets. Shoot, shooting two people, shooting three people and killing one. I sat, I sat there, right, and held my friend's hand. Right, this was two and a half years, two almost three years ago. And I and watched the bullet literally looking at his lungs. I knew he wasn't gonna make it, but I pleaded the blood. I was like, God, please, you know, keep him. But I saw him take his last breath. I didn't think that it was politically motivated, you know, until about 20, 30 minutes later, I had a conversation with my mom and we had to go back and play it. Who was all involved in this meeting? And everybody that was involved in, in that meeting, it was two very powerful individuals. When you look at the alderman of a neighborhood of a community, they know every gang leader in the section that they are what they represent. Right. They can make a phone call easily. It was all of that was going through my head. And I was like, they. All it took was some bloodshed on this block. And after that, they shut the block down completely. So right now, it's the most beautiful block you can go on. And it took for a young man to lose his life. 
Another young man to almost lose his leg because he got shot in the groin and lost a bunch of blood. And another young man to get shot in the knee for the 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 for the neighborhood to finally become red red line. And for now, you can turn this trap house into a million dollar condo and a half a million dollar condo and a half a million dollar two flat. I mean, it didn't take no more than twelve months for them to just revitalize the neighborhood that the snap of a finger. And I was like, wow. After experiencing that, and I'm and, and and looking at that's just one instance. You got to multiply that by a thousand. You got to go to West Austin. You got to go to East Garfield. You got to go to uh, to the Hornets. You got to go all the way to the Hunnets. You got to go on the East Side. You got to and look at all of these areas where all this violence is happening, and right under your or right under the nose of the people that live in there. It's people literally going to these auctions. I worked at auction.com for three years from 2013 to 2017. I used to sit in Cook County auction and literally watch people buy up Inglewood. And I used to go to black investors and black realtors every day and say, look, y'all need to buy this, buy that. No, we ain't buying that. We ain't about to put our money in that, in that neighborhood. I'm like, in five years, Inglewood going to be the place to go. It's 2020. Look at what they're doing in Inglewood right now. So it's like, I take it personal to the point where I know what they're doing. I know that they're intensifying and they're, they're, they're cheering us on to kill one another, to destroy one another. So it's really, man, it's, 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 it's tough to know that they, it's like, we want peace. We want, we want, it's like, it's, it's not enough of us to say, Let's come, let's stop, let's stop, let's stop the violence. Let's stop killing each other because they want us to hate each other so that they can push their agendas across. They want us to hate each other so the property property value can stay low. They want us to hate each other so they can send, they, they can create martial law and send the troops into our neighborhood. They want us, they, this is a part of the plan. They wanted it to happen during COVID, but, but it wasn't a, that much of a panic because COVID, when you think about it, COVID hit when everybody had those refund checks so people can afford the toilet paper and the hand sanitizer. So when nobody going crazy, imagine if COVID hit today when people ran out of all that money. So when the riots happened, they were like, Oh, right on time, right on schedule. They want all of this to happen, but it's like, what are we going to do? Or what, not even what are we going to do? Cause we got all the ideas in the world, but what can we do to combat that? What can we do? to educate these young guys to say, look, stop pointing guns at each other. Let's have a conversation and show you who the real enemy is. Let's show you. It's all in the music. It's everywhere. You turn on the TV. Like, it's in the media. Like, who's going to, like, where, where, are, where are young people learning about themselves? They're not learning in the schools. Where are they getting information on who they are as people? When they turn on TV, they see themselves sagging and see pants tight and they favorite rappers and they listen to the music and they get motivated by that. And then if you get an individual like me or you or you and we go into the neighborhood, they look like they look at us like we crazy because we ain't got that much clout and we don't got enough zeros behind the comments on, in our paychecks. So it's like hmm. they, when it comes to gentrification, it's like it, that all of that plays a huge role in it. And at the end, and at the end of the day, they look at our people as pines on the chessboard. Right. They just knocking us out, knocking us out, knocking us out, one by one by one. And luckily, 
a few of us are blessed enough to not have to go through that physically, but mentally, spiritually, and emotionally, it's killing me. Yeah. Let me throw this in there, and I'll, and I'll start with you, Tim, and I'll work, and then uh, Reverend Bill, you'll be next. You talk about the, the power structure that be. Uh, aldermanic privilege as a real thing uh, became a hot-button issue in the last uh, mayoral uh, election campaign and had the pleasure to go to the debate, saw uh, the performances. I thought, personally, Dr. Amira uh, was the best and should have probably did better in polling and in results. I thought Susanna Mendoza was great. And I thought Tony Preckwinkle uh, held her own, did not see Lori coming and there's no slight against Mayor Lightfoot. It's just that if you took a census of the polls, she didn't rank. I mean, I mean, Chico was ahead of her, Paul Vallis. Uh, I mean, she was literally in the third tier above Willie Wilson. When you think about the political structure of Chicago, what needs to change? Is it, do we get rid of the aldermans? Do they have too much power? Uh, do we put a term limit on these mayors? What is the first thing politically that has to happen to the city of Chicago known as uh, the big blue machine? Everybody know where the alderman offices are and they're, all, they're always open. Aldermans have a lot of power, but not enough pressure put on them, right? We go straight to the mayor. We go straight to City Hall in March. We go over here. Why aren't we going to the alderman's office? Why aren't we having sit downs with the alderman? And I know a lot. I know a lot of us are, but why isn't that being publicized? Why? Why aren't we putting that and exposing that in the media and putting pressure on these aldermans? Like I said before, these aldermans know every gang leader of every gang in every part of the community. They know where the hottest areas are. They know where the most money is. My the alderman that that's in my neighborhood. This dude, he, he, he's got the area where Cabrini Greens uh, used to be. He's got, you know, the area where the United Center is. He's got all the way close to uh, um, East Garfield. And so it's like, I don't, I wouldn't necessarily take the power. Because if we take the power away from the Ottomans, then who, who else do we have to go to where we can actually get a sit down with and have a conversation with? I feel like we can put more pressure on the Ottomans because they, they do have power. And if we can not necessarily get into their good grace, but put enough pressure on them where we can get get these conversations going, then, you know, we may, may be able to to maneuver through them to get to the true and real decision makers. Right, right. Reverend Bill, uh, basically a statement from our audience member, reduce the number of wards, limit the terms. Aldermans make six figures. They're not required to work, I don't think, 40 full hours. They're just required to live in the zone. As Tim stated, they have too much power. What should we do? Does, does political change start at the automatic level or does it basically start at the top at the mayoral level? It's about stacking the deck. It, you know, it, it, it's about uh, accountability and added responsibility. First of all, these aldermen are making more than the state of Illinois representatives and they have less to do than the Illinois state representatives. Uh, unless something has changed with the salaries. Last time I checked, they were paid, they were paid higher than the state of Illinois reps. Uh, I think we've got to go back to holding them accountable. A reduction in the number of wards, great. Term limits, great. But if you're gonna just continue to swap them out with people who have uh, the, same amount of the, the, the same amount of less interest in the work and in the community, then you're gonna keep finding yourself uh, with the same patterns. You're just gonna be re uh, going through different people. And so I think we've got to increase the accountability. We've got to let these people know 
that you are not in this office for life. You are not in this office because you don't have other choices. We need better candidates. We need fresh candidates. We need young, innovative uh, people uh, who are informed with what the wards need in their individual respective wards. Uh, and so, yeah, for me, it's about increased accountability and increased responsibility. Increased accountability, increased responsibility, hold their feet to the fire. Reverend Atkins, automatic privilege, the political process of Chicago. Where do we start? I, I do agree that uh, I'm a, I am a strong proponent to term limits um, because, I mean, we live in a democratic society here in the city of Chicago. So everything right now, unless we change that process, uh, we need to be able to uh, put some term limits to it. I do agree with agree with Reverend Beal in that component. Um, but I think also as a salesperson, everything I do is metric-based. Um, right. so I think there should be some level of accountability, some growth measurements uh, that you put in place. Because, I mean, I know from what I understand, it's $80,000 for your salary, and then they have usually an $80,000 uh, expense account. And so that's $160,000. That's more, and especially in some of these wards that they serve in, like Inglewood, uh, South Shore, uh, that's more than the average income of that person in that community. So the average, so you take it and you look at that and you say, okay, uh, $80,000 expense account. I don't know what all you're doing with $80,000 on top of your salary uh, because that means you probably took it all of your money home and using their money to live off of. But uh, I do think it's something that we need to also I believe that there should be term limits on mayors. Um, I don't believe that you should be able, if you're not performing, if we're not seeing the progression, you get so many tries and it's like you're not the good fit. It's nothing personal. It's business. We need people who are metrics-driven, performance-based, but I do think that we need the audience in the community to Timothy's point because we need someone to go to because we can't go to the mayor all the time. This is the first mayor that I've seen that has been feet on the ground and approachable. Um, but before this mayor, the daily uh, who have been historic, I mean, here in Washington was approachable. Uh, and I believe, honestly, the reason these people are approachable is because of the color of their skin. They cannot do what some of our other counterparts did. Uh, daily uh, is a big name in this, in this city. His father was notorious for some very, very bad, bad things uh, and really attacked churches. I mean, you know, so when we talk about this, we need accountability. We need these people to be held responsible. Uh, and it should be shown up in the ballot and it could be a you know, if you can't perform, you can't keep this job because we do need people who are uh, accountable for their actions. A lot of times we just say people forget. We forget and we move on. Oh, they made a mistake. But if you keep making the same mistake, you know, uh, because the one thing the mayor does come in and say, hey, superintendent, you ain't doing your job, you fired. Uh, but who says you fired from your job? You like See what I'm saying? So they have a responsibility if they don't follow themselves. Right. Performance-based evaluations. I, I, Attorney Powell, I'm slowly become, becoming a fan of Mayor Lori Lightfoot. I will say I will give her an extreme amount of credit. She has handled this COVID situation with the utmost professionalism, uh, and she has really held this thing together. But to echo Reverend Atkins, I, she wasn't given the same playing cards uh, that Rahm Emanuel was given, and definitely that uh, Mayor uh, Daly, both Dailies uh, were given and took full advantage of. So what do we do politically? 
And this is the last hard question. Uh, Cause I know you guys got to go and then I'll give you a sign up. What, what do we do politically? As far as uh, with term limits and things of that nature, as far as whatever, I think the term. <laughs> well, let me say this and I'm looking around. I think I'm the old guy of the, of the panel today. Uh, I remember this city and I've lived in Chicago all my life. I remember the aldermen in the seventies and in the eighties and in the nineties. And back in those days, an alderman's ward was his own little kingdom. And he could basically do in his kingdom, whatever he wanted to though. The, uh, uh, newspaper out of Washington, the uh, Washington Post has a saying that says truth dies in the dark. That is to say, if you never let anything out in the light, the truth will actually die. And I believe that. And I think that one of the things that we need, you know, we can talk about accountability. Well, how are you going to make the people accountable? I think that there ought to be individuals assigned, maybe not not just newspaper reporters or television reporters, but someone assigned to know everything that's going on in the alderman's office. If Mrs. Johnson down the street had to make four phone calls in order to get a new garbage can, that needs to be documented somewhere because that is a saying that this alderman or his office is not well organized and they're slow on the uptake. Whenever anything happens, we need to know. I remember uh, situations where the alderman would intentionally let certain properties be ceded to uh, the city of Chicago. Why did they want that? Because then the alderman could buy that for a dollar or for $10 wow. and actually put his own or her own project on there. Uh, if I'm not talking out of school, uh, I've known Cody, I've known Cody almost, I guess I have known him all his life. Mm-hmm. And uh, his grandfather, one of his fathers was pastor of uh, Freedom Temple Church of God in Christ. And I remember when his grandfather, Bishop Marshall, had wanted to uh, acquire a particular lot, had actually made a purchase of a particular vacant lot thinking that it was going to help the church because it was not too far from the church. And I went to the office of the alderman along with Bishop Marshall and the alderman got upset. And the reason she was upset was that she had eyes to buy that for herself. A whole lot of things. Truth dies in the dark. Mm -hmm. When all of this stuff done in the dark, then nobody knows what's going on. We need a committee or a group of individuals, you can call them, uh, put them on blast, who will put all 50 aldermen on blast and will tell you at any given time that Mrs. Johnson had to make four phone calls just so she could get a garbage can or that somebody had to do something or that there's more crime in this person's ward, even though he knows all the gangbangers and knows all the people who own guns. I mean, we've got to, we can talk accountability, but we have to come up with the frame of how we're going to make these aldermen accountable. 
Well, we can start here. Put that put that alderman on blast. What's that? The name of the alderman? <laughs> What's the name? Put him on blast. Name she's, she's, now. Oh, she's, right. she's gonna be with. She's gonna okay. be with the Lord. But I will with your grandfather. Right when uh, she at him because she because Bishop Marshall had purchased this lot. Yeah, thinking that he was going to do something positive for Freedom Temple Church. Wow. All right. Look, she's gone. She's gone. God, God bless her soul. Uh, I was hoping that just okay. go blast. It is what it is. You can do that here. Uh, but look, where can they connect with you? This is my last question to sign up. Attorney Powell, what are you doing? Where can the people connect with you? Uh, let me give you my email address. That's the best way to get in touch with me. Email is Attorney Powell. That's A T T O R N E Y. P-O-W-E-L-L, all one word, at yahoo.com. And that's the best way to get in touch with me. All right, Reverend Atkins, where can the people connect with you? What you working on? Where can they follow you? You're muted. Uh, I'm sorry about that, my you can on Instagram. Uh, you can look up my name, Jamira Atkins, uh, and then on Facebook, look me up as well. I'm Jamira Atkins, uh, and that's where I do. I do a lot of work uh, in the inner city, and I do a lot of work in the south suburbs uh, where I grew up at. Um, and so uh, I do a lot of work in both of those areas. Uh, but you can follow me on there. Um, I'm actually currently working with uh, some state reps uh, in the south suburban area on uh, police reform. Hopefully, if it, if we draft something really well, uh, hopefully um, it'll be something that will be taken up by other state reps and state senators uh, to take uh, to the federal level. So uh, we're hopeful um, and partnering in that effort. And so that's something I'm currently working on. Awesome, awesome. Reverend Bill, where can the people connect with you? What you working on? Uh, you can connect with me through Facebook. My name on there is L. Jerome Bill. Uh, Instagram. Uh, Ladarius Bill, uh, you can follow me, and I'm always doing something. <laughs> so uh, you can see the different projects and things that I'm working on from there. Awesome, Tim. Where can they connect with you at? You can connect with me on Facebook. Uh, my name on Facebook is Timothy Tremaine. I actually just edited my name, so you can see my information and my uh, email address is kink10 at gmail.com, which is also uh, under my name here as well. Awesome. Well, guys, look, I appreciate it once again. I appreciate these uh, amazing gentlemen. Look, audience, connect with these guys. These are leaders in the Chicago community. They live in Chicago. They're not just, you know, doing episodes of The Shy and not living here. These are actually living human beings that are embodied uh, in no offense, no offense. It's just, you know, if you don't live here, I, I'm just saying, you know, I don't want to, you know, <laughs> but these are real life individuals, real life people that are really doing great things. Connect with them. It's been an amazing episode of It Is What It Is uh, podcast. Tomorrow, where do we go from here from a national standpoint political? We have guests Malik Abdul, GOP leading strategist, Democrat leading strategist, Zoe Kador, and a returning guest, Attorney Elliot Powell. But until next time, I'll talk to you guys. Bye. Thank you. Thank you, brother.